everyone, and welcome to the Frogcast. It's been a few weeks, but we are back. We are back at 100%, all good, all healthy. Frogs are on a two-week winning streak as we took a two-week hiatus, so I don't know what one has to do with the other, but I'm glad we're going to be able to talk about TCU beats Texas Tech 34-18 in Amon Carter Stadium. Frogs win two in a row, Baylor Tech. See what happens next week against West Virginia. We're going to talk about that and a whole lot more on this episode of the Frogcast. Well, Jeremy, did you feel as if there was at least some sense of college football normalcy to go out there and watch the Frogs run the ball, watch the Frogs go out there and beat Texas Tech, and that's two in a row over Tech. It's the first time that the home team has won since uh, 2014 when we ran out of fireworks. We're going to go a deep dive into the game, but what did you think being able to see the Frogs win two in a row against Tech? Well, that's what I predicted. Um, this is part of the uh, prediction that I had for them to finish out the season four and one and to possibly uh, finish out five and four. Uh, I expected them to beat Baylor. I expected them to beat Texas Tech. Uh, TCU overall talent-wise is better than them, but it, it was it was not the greatest of games on Saturday, but it was enough. If you can go out, Jeff, and you can play pretty much sloppy anytime you're going out to pass the ball, and you can still win by 18 points. Yeah, I know the touchdown was late in the game uh, with under uh, a minute and a half to go, but it's still an 18-point win no matter how you how you dice it up. Uh, it, you got to be pleased at some of the things you saw. And, and for me, I was I was definitely impressed with some of the things I saw on Saturday. Yeah, I was impressed with several things that I saw on Saturday. I I feel good about the defense, actually. We'll talk about that in a second. If a uh, guy doesn't fall down twice, I don't know. Maybe they hold him to uh, three points. I don't know. But they they wouldn't be giving up 18. I felt good about the defense. We're going to talk right about this next. But I felt really good about the Frogs' ability to run the ball. And also, aside from about three minutes in the second half where I kind of had this nervous queasiness, they just controlled the game. And so you have to feel good about that. This is what TCU has to be able to do, which is get quality double-digit wins against teams that they should beat. And Tech has been a back-and-forth series since we entered the Big 12, even though TCU has clearly been the better program since we joined the Big 12. And so being able to get two in a row against Tech, even though in the midst of this roller coaster year of COVID and not a lot of fans, hey, it felt good, and I felt really confident. I felt a lot better about what I did, about what I saw from that game a day later, even than what I did yesterday afternoon. So that's that's where I'm at. All right, let's get into what was the highlight of the offense, man. The Frogs go out there and put up 270 yards on the ground. Frogs are able to you know, spread the running game around. You see a little bit more of Zach Evans, which I think uh, Frog fans should feel really good about. Let me just give you the breakdown here. Um, Max Duggan runs for 154. Darwin Barlow runs for 63. Zach Evans for 36. DiMicardo for 22. That is a that is a pretty strong running attack. Not the least of which is Max Duggan, who had two ridiculous touchdown runs. We'll talk about one and then the other here as we wrap up this section. But what did you feel good about seeing the Frogs run the ball? We got to talk offensive line. We got to talk distribution. What are your thoughts on those two issues on the Frogs' ability to run the ball Saturday? Well, the offensive line I thought uh, played pretty well. They gave up some sacks, but. Some of that, I think, goes to Max. I, I think everyone could agree that on, on a couple of those passes, he was holding on to the ball a little bit too long. Um, and it almost and I made a post about this on the game thread. It almost seemed like he had forgotten that he can scramble out and, and go down the field with, and use his legs when he needs to. 
but overall, I thought the offensive line did did pretty well. Uh, as far as the uh, distribution with the running backs, you had Darwin with 11, Zach with 10. Uh, you, when you look at the, the amount of touches, you, you'd like to have those guys somewhere between 10 and 15 touches a game, whether it's running the football, throwing the football. I, I'm still kind of cautious on – on what Max is doing running the football uh, with him getting the most carries. But it's like I was talking to a few people after the game when, when they're giving you those lanes and they're attacking, they're attacking the running backs on those RPOs and you've got a lane in the middle where you could drive a truck through it. The, the running backs, the, the quarterback's going to take off and do that. And, and that's something that I know Gary took some heat uh, about saying what the defense was giving them. Uh, particularly uh, on the passing game, not allowing passing yards, but they did allow the, the, the way the defense was set up. It was set up to where if if Max made the right reads, he can have success running the football. And I think we all saw that, especially in the in the third quarter and in the fourth quarter. Obviously, with his speed, and you've got to use that speed. And, and everyone knew Max was pretty fast, and I think everyone can pretty much agree throughout the Big Twelve and, and maybe throughout college football. When you watch Max Duggan run the football, he is the fastest quarterback in the Big 12, if not one of the top three guys uh, speed-wise in the nation at quarterback. So they've got to utilize that somehow. They're, they're, they're not an offense that's just going to sit back, let the quarterback sit in the pocket, scan the field. That is not the way their offense is designed. We might as well all get used to seeing Max run the football. Does it put him at a potential risk to get hurt? Yes, but – the way the line's blocked so far this year when he goes back to pass, he, he's at a potential risk to get hurt that way as well. So it, as far as the the run game and, and, and offensive line goes, I, I would have liked to see Darwin get a few more carries. And I think Zach would have got a few more carries if Texas Tech wouldn't have got away with that cheap ripping off of his helmet by the goal line to where he – I don't know if you guys have seen the replay, but he took a pretty nasty shot. Uh, to the head from from another guy that had his helmet on. So he had to come out of the game for, for a few series, but I was pretty proud to see him go back in the game because I thought he would have been finished. But I, I think by the, for the most part, he would have gotten more carries, and, and Darwin ended up with 63 yards, averaged 5.7 yards per carry. So I, I think the running game was right where you needed it to be. And thankfully, they've got a, a speedy quarterback like Max that can get those long runs and make the average look even better. You know, I'm. I was so surprised that Texas Tech had a cheap hit on a defensive. Player. <laughs> sure, you were. That was. I was just floor. I mean, I sat up and threw my hands in the air. I'm like, where did this <laughs> come from? I'm really surprised by that. Well, you know, I, I made a I made a post on the game thread where people probably jumped me when when they saw it, but I, I made a post because that was the second time of the drive that he had lost his helmet. Well, when you're in the press box and you're seeing everything real time, you don't you don't really pay attention to the TVs on replays unless it's like a, like a huge play, like the, the Quentin Johnston catch. And we'll talk about that later, but it's things like that, like with the helmet falling off, you don't typically go straight to the TV to see how it happened. But after I watched the, the, the replay today and I watched it a few times just to make sure I was watching it right. Just the way that guy ripped off his helmet, man, that, that, that should have been, that should have been a penalty on them. They should have reviewed that. And that should have been a penalty. 
He should have been ejected from the game and suspended for the rest of the season. That's my um, unbiased take. <laughs> well, you, you don't run the ball without the offensive line, and I'm aware that a lot of this was uh, Max on on zone reads and his ability to kind of get upfield. What did you? What's your assessment of the offensive line this game? It is clearly a line in flux. We've got guys that are sick. We got guys that are injured. We, I don't know that we've had the same starting five, but maybe two games all season. What's your assessment of the offensive line, especially the combo that uh, Anderson had out there Saturday? I, I think they're starting to play better, uh, and and we could sit here and, and argue uh, whether or not they're having that success because they're going against two mediocre teams. Uh, we watched them run the ball for two forty-seven against Baylor. We watched them run the ball for 270 against Tech. Do those two defenses have great run defenses? Defenses, no. Um, but but you still got to block guys. You still got to create lanes. You still got to run the football. So especially with them making that change just a few weeks ago, you had Stormont making his third start, Lance making his third start. Uh, if you guys haven't noticed, Avila and and really Kelton Hollins is getting more work at center now. Uh, he's probably he he hardly played at all. I think he played one game last year. Now we've seen him in a couple games uh, the last couple weeks. And I'm, you have, I'm happy for him. He's a good yeah kid, yeah. But he's earning it too. I'm glad to see absolutely, him. He's playing a lot better than last year. A, se- a senior going in there, working hard, getting back on the field. More props to him. But uh, right guard, you have Austin Myers, who I, I think we could all agree that he's played much better at right guard than what he had at left tackle. And then Coker, he's still growing. I mean, he's still, he's just a redshirt freshman. He's still going to make those mistakes. Uh, one penalty he had negated a twenty-yard pass play. So you would hope that he learns from that and doesn't doesn't have that same kind of penalty uh, moving forward. But I, I think overall, the way they've changed the line the last couple of weeks with all these moving parts, they're they're playing pretty good. We 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 can sit here and, and talk about how, like I said earlier, we could talk about how bad the two defensive lines uh, are that they're playing against and, and racking up those rushing yards, but they're still getting those rushing yards. And, I, and I'm proud for them. They're, they're getting better at protecting Max. And as I said earlier, anyone that watches those games, it, it would be great. I mean, Max has to have more than two seconds to throw, but he doesn't need five or six seconds like some of those plays that are happening where he's getting sacked. He's He's got to learn to get rid of the ball a little bit sooner. But I, I think – the last two weeks, we've seen a, a big improvement on the offensive line. And people aren't going to like to hear it, but I think you have to give some of that credit to Jared Anderson because no, he's, making, not he's, allowed. he's, he's making those changes. You're you're going with you're going with uh with with a line that that has played pretty well. And I think the the big test is obviously this Saturday when they go up to West Virginia. West Virginia's got a great run defense. They've got the twin brothers on defensive tackles at the the Seals brothers that are extremely good against the run. So that's going to be a great test for them. But the last two weeks from what I've seen, I, I think they've obviously improved. Yeah, I think that they have improved. I have a, I have a joke I have to tell here. It's a true story. I got a, a text thread. That's my brother and two friends that are all TCU. We're all TCU addicts. And one of my friends Guido wrote me and said, I saw John Stevens jr. Was transferring. I said, uh, he said, are we going to miss him? And I said, well, you know, he kind of got passed by some younger players, but we're going to miss him because he's really good run blocker out on the edge. And my friend said, did we try him out at offensive line? (laughs) (laughs) Not quite that big. (laughs) That's what I thought. But after the last couple of weeks, that can be a good building block for the West Virginia game because that is going to be a challenge. All right. You mentioned uh, 
you mentioned the two big you mentioned the big runs by Max. So let's highlight that real quick. We got that touchdown where he breaks it to the north end zone. He put a move on a safety. What was that about eight yards down the field? Where that that poor kid has a mom and a family. Someone needs to speak up for that boy. That was a ridiculous run. That was a ridiculous juke. And then you flip it around to that score you referenced at the end of the game. Did did Max go eighty? Was that eighty four yards? Eighty one um, yards. Eighty one yards. yards. Yeah. And then I think my favorite part of that was the between the five and the goal line where that guy finally caught him and he was going to tackle him and he might've been at the one, he might've gotten in, but Max just leaped in to make sure that he got in. And I know that those are beauty points there at the end, but you're, you know, they were, if they were going to let him score, let him score. So I, I feel good about what we know Max has are the intangibles, which is if I'm going to break it this far, I want to score. And so all of that is to say, go to the post game presser, is Max actually the fastest player on this football team? Because you have Darius Davis that ran, what, a 20.2, 200 meters in, in Louisiana high school that's saying Max is faster than me. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty funny after the game. We were we were talking to them about who is faster. And uh, obviously, Darius, he's, he's going to give more props to the quarterback. He said Max, he thinks, would get him. We asked Max the same question, and and Max was like, "There's no chance in the world I would be able to beat Darius. He would explode right past me." And then we asked uh, Merrig finally what he thought, and Merrig had to think about it for a second, and and he pretty much said that Darius might win, but it wouldn't be by much. And I was telling I was telling Drew Davison, a lot of people don't remember this, but those who follow recruiting so closely and they watch the opening and, and all the uh, spark tests that they do and how they combine all those scores to give you a spark score. And some of these kids get to go to the opening because of their combine scores and, and also because they're good players. But if, if you look at the results back when, when Max was a junior going into his senior year, he had one of the highest spark scores or he had the highest spark score in the nation for quarterbacks and when they did all of the results at the end of the at the end of the testing for all the different cities they visited, they they compiled this list, and it's like thousands of kids on like on this list. And Max, I believe, if memory serves me correctly, Max was the only quarterback on that list in the top twenty. Everyone else on that list were either wide receivers, defensive backs. Uh, uh, especially cornerbacks, some safeties, but that was it. Maybe a couple running backs, but he was the only quarterback that had a high score like that. And just for you guys that don't follow that closely, it's it's a 40 time. Uh, they do a vertical, they do a medicine ball throw, and I think it's the shuttle time. But they compile all those averages together and they get X amount of points and, and based off how big they are, how much they weigh, and I want to say Max ran a laser time four five three. He wasn't running a four three uh, in high school, and I'm not quite sure where the guys got four three on the on the TV broadcast because I, I heard them talking about it when he had a couple of those runs. But he's he's extremely fast. I don't think he's the fastest guy on TCU's roster, but you would be very very hard pressed to find another quarterback in the Big Twelve that's faster than him. Well, he showed it, especially on that last play. That was a that was some real speed there. So when you take that background of the spark score, um, 
I don't, again, I don't know where those announcers say four, three, but sub four, five, I would probably say at this point, um, that's great to see from a quarterback. And I think it's going to continue to elevate his game as he continues to develop. But let's if talk he's, about if, he, if he's running a four, five, three laser, he, he might with all the weight training he's done since he got out of school and, and been up at TCU. I mean, they could have got him at a hand time four, three, nine or something like that. I mean, he was running away from defensive backs on his first run, the 81 yard run, which was, that was a huge, huge play. That was on a third and 11. And he was able to run, run away from those guys. He, for, it was pretty funny because I looked on Twitter, everyone was talking about it and everyone was kind of throwing shade on Daniel Jones from the giants because he had that long run and he started stumbling the last 15, 20 yards of it. But uh, Max, Max, that was, that was the 81 yarder was just, a great run and I, as I'm watching it for you guys that watch the replay when the guy the announcer starts look he, he yells look at that speed he reminds me so much of Jim Carrey if you go back and watch that the, the announcer sounds just like Jim Carrey name any movie and, and, and you could just close your eyes and just imagine Jim Carrey calling that Max Duggan touchdown Ace Ventura quarterback detective <laughs> <laughs> yeah pretty much <laughs> Well, we talked about things that we saw that we liked, the ability to run the ball offensive line, improving, you know, we'll take it for for what it is. It's improving. How in the world do you have 73 passing yards in one game with the weapons that the Frogs have? Let's, well, you referenced that Quentin Johnston catch, interference, interception, all that. Kind of, just, I hate when people say this, talk about the passing game or lack thereof. Yeah, it was – when you when you go back and you look at what Texas Tech has allowed through the air this year, especially in first game of the year against Houston Baptist, they threw for five something. It is it is pretty uh, eye opening when you look up at the box score and you only see seventy something yards passing for TCU. I will say this: we, we we talk about how talented the receivers are. We get that they they have athleticism. They they got size and they've got some speed, but I want you to name five guys right now on at TCU's uh, receiver receiver core that you think could make a ton of plays right now. Tay Barber, Quentin Johnston, Blair Conright, three fourths of one. And then it's not a weird play, but Darius Davis – Darius Davis is an improved player, but he's usually yeah. great on the jet sweep, the end around. Yes. Um, you That's know. a receiving threat. He's not – He's he's, he's, not he's, got, he's got hands because I'll be honest, he did not have hands his first couple of years. He's got hands now. Uh, and Pro Wells. Pro Wells for sure. Pro Wells. Yeah. Those are the guys I thought you were going to mention. Okay. okay. But, but other than – other than Tay Barber, how many proven guys do they have? Quentin Johnson has made a couple good plays this year, and he's going to continue to get better. Is he a superstar? No, he's not a superstar yet, but he but he has the makings of one. So right now, it, and I don't know what's happened to Blair. Blair, he started off the year pretty good, and he's been kind of absent the last few games. But other than Tay Barber, who who do you throw to on a consistent basis that that can just completely open up the secondary. Um, and like before anyone, said, before anyone says Quentin Johnston, 
Quentin Quentin has been good on deep passes and some of those little screen p- plays that they run. He ha- he had a, a little you know eight nine yard hitch yesterday that he dropped. So he's still he's still a work in progress. I don't think it's time for us all to anoint him as a true superstar when he's literally 19 years old, maybe even 18 still. I don't know, but the fact of the matter is, is their receiving core isn't as loaded as we might assume right now. They don't have Tavalence Hunt anymore. John Stevens is gone. Uh, Dylan Thomas, which which I thought could have been a a, uh, a contributor, especially just in in making those third down key catches, he's gone. So it, it's not quite as loaded. We haven't seen the other young guys. Savion Williams, they targeted him maybe once or twice on Saturday, uh, the other young receivers, Caleb Medford, Blake now, they haven't really seen the field yet. And and really, Artavius Lynn, you lost that weapon, and, and I thought he was a great weapon at tight end. Now that I've said that, yesterday was probably one of the worst days I've seen Max have as a throwing throwing quarterback. Uh, he, was, he was not uh, really good in his accuracy. He had a lot of passes that – uh, were overthrown uh, over the head, and and really just didn't didn't make a, a ton of great decisions. Now I posted this on the board. He was eleven of twenty three, but if you reverse that play on the sideline by Quentin, that forty eight yarder that the refs didn't even bother to review. By the way, I, what are your thoughts on that? By the way, Jeff, the ref in you. Uh, I got a whole section on referees, but okay, I'll, I'll just we'll get we'll, we'll get to that one. So let's just say he catches that one, and then the the drop that he had, I believe it was the first or second drive that would have been a first down. So that's two drops. Then you had the Tay Barber drop uh, on the sideline that was almost reminiscent of of uh, Quentin Johnson's drop, and then you had a twenty yarder to Blair Conright, which was a great throw on a play action pass. It was an RPO play uh, RPO to Blair Conrad got 20 yards, but it was negated by an Andrew Coker penalty because he was too far downfield. So you, you add those four, you add those four plays right there. That's, that's 15 completions. And we'll just, we'll add it. We'll add the Blair Conrad. So he's 15 to 24 and that's around 90 yards. So he's, he's throwing for 160 yards. That's still not groundbreaking. That's, that's not great. I, some of it is, I don't know if they're comfortable with him throwing downfield. They looked like they were comfortable with him throwing downfield against Baylor, but it, it just didn't seem like they were getting open over the middle. There was a few plays that he missed. He threw one to pro Wells that was, uh, over his head on the sideline where he missed a wide open Quentin Johnston running on the slant. Uh, if he would have saw him, it probably would have been a pretty big gain, but they're not really, they're not really attacking the seams a whole lot. They're not, they're not really going vertical. I mean, we we only saw a couple throws where he went vertical, and and one of them was incomplete. Another one was an interception, and off the very first play of the game. But it's, I, I don't think it's the fact that they're not comfortable with Max right now. I, I feel that they trust him and they believe he can make those throws. I mean, this guy threw for three twenty three last year against Texas Tech. It's not like. He hasn't had success against them, but it's it's been really tough too because I I hate I hate when people say this and I'm, I'm gonna probably hit myself in the head 
tomorrow when I listen back to this, but if you've ever heard the phrase seeing ghosts, you know what I'm talking about? Yes, I do. Yes. Okay. I do. And, and, and I don't know if he's, I don't know if that's happening with him right now because he's been hit so many times, but I, I think if he is, I think if that, if that is an issue, he's panicking too early and that could lead to a lot of uh, incompletions as well. So it's, it's definitely something I'm keeping an eye on. Uh, he hasn't turned the ball over a whole lot. He had that one interception. Uh, I, I like the play call. I like the aggressiveness. I mentioned that on the game thread. I just wish they would have thrown it to the other side, to the six four guy, to the six four receiver instead of the five foot eleven receiver. But overall, uh, I there's not very much optimism I have from the passing game right now, uh, especially the way he threw yesterday. But I do have optimism because I've seen him play better, and I know what his capabilities are. And he just had a bad day. I mean. There's been quarterbacks in this league, fellas, that have had bad days. Charlie Brewer has looked like a looked like a magician in some games, and TCU held him in check. I mean, heck, Brock Purdy. Brock Purdy had three interceptions at home in Ames against Baylor on Saturday. So all these quarterbacks, they're not going to go out there and, and play perfect. I mean, just ask Texas fans what they think about Sam Ellinger. But the one thing I will take away is – even though he struggled throwing the football, and I even did a story on this, it, he still has enough ability to go out there and and win a football game for them. And even last year, even last year it, against Baylor, he threw three interceptions against Baylor in that 29-23 loss. But he kept them in the game because of his running ability. And there'll be some there'll be some passes. I mean, he threw he threw a great pass to Pro Wells on a big third down. He scrambled, got out of the pocket, was running toward the home sideline, found Pro Wells. Pro Wells made a great catch inbounds, and I think they ended up going going down. And uh, it might have been the missed field goal that they had, but they still continued the drive. So there's still flashes that I see from him passing the ball. But I am I am concerned, but I also got to look at the receiver core and, and look at the inexperience. They've really only got Tay Barber and Pro Wells. And as we know, Pro Wells hasn't been – playing a whole lot this year either. Uh, he's he's battled some things. So it's it's a mixture of everything of why I think that he struggled yesterday, but I, I do have optimism that he could play better and, and that he will. I, I know he can play better. I've seen him play much better against much better teams. Uh, I just – I know this is the struggle of a struggling team. If they can bring that same ability to run the ball – as they did against Tech, as their ability to throw the ball like they did in the first half against Baylor, I think we can win out. <laughs> but that's going to be a, a strong task going to West Virginia next week. It's going to be tough. It is. It's just, it's just if if they can if they can beat West Virginia, I I feel one hundred percent confident they could beat Kansas, and they got Oklahoma State. And my hypothetical is more challenging for TCU fans than ever before because my hypothetical presented to you guys a few weeks ago was what happens if TCU finishes six and three and they exceed expectations by finishing higher in the big 12 than what people predicted them to be. Now I know TCU fans are always going to predict them number one, but some of those predictions are through purple tinted glasses and, and you guys can all admit that. But if, if they somehow finish six and three on the year, even in the year where the Big 12 isn't exactly 
playing playing extremely well, it's it's still a good season in my opinion. And people are going to hate it because I got news for you. If they go six and three, Gary's not firing any coach. I could I can I'll bet I'll I'll meet you guys anywhere and I'll bet you a hundred dollars if they go six and three. He ain't firing any coach, so you, you guys can get rid of that thought. If they go six and three, they will have closed out the season five and zero. Oh. They would have beaten basically every team we need to beat every year. You know, Tech, Baylor, Kansas, West Virginia, and in the team that is, uh, we all kind of take turns having good seasons and bad seasons, which is Oklahoma State. So if they went out and go five and zero oh and go six and three. You, you're looking at a first half that Max didn't get to play against Iowa State that I feel confident could have won the game. You're looking at a loss to a uh, Oklahoma Oklahoma team that is flat out better than TCU. And then you're looking at a Kansas State game that was just, you know, one big burp. Uh, I mean, that's all I know how to describe just, just, that. Just a, weird, just a weird game. But, it's a weird game. Know, and, it's and, a COVID game. It's a 2020 game. <laughs> but – one, one win we're not even really talking about. Have, have you looked up and seen what Texas is doing lately as well? Yes. All they've done is continue to win. You know, they go on the road. They get a top 10 win in Stillwater. They uh, they beat West Virginia, and they are climbing back up in the polls. Now, part of that 20% of their inflation is just simply being Texas. But uh, I wouldn't be betting against Texas. Any, what, what game is Texas going to lose between now and the end of the season? Iowa State's going to be a tough game. Okay, Iowa State but fair. That's, I mean this this league is so crazy. And even you talked about losing to Iowa State, but yes, they did have a late touchdown, which made it look closer. But Iowa Iowa State has they're they're sitting up top of the the Big Twelve Conference right now. They're tied with Oklahoma State right now. I mean they're both. I think they both have a four and one record, four and somewhere around there. I, I don't have it right in front of me, but. I mean, they lost to Oklahoma. Oklahoma, if you haven't noticed, since they've lost since they lost to Iowa State, what have they won? Four in a row, three in a row? Four four in a row, and they're just blowing the doors off everybody. They're yeah, not gonna they, they, out. They Oklahoma scored fifty three against Texas. They scored sixty two against Texas Tech. They scored sixty two against Oklahoma. They scored half of that against TCU. Yeah. Now we can we can sit here and argue whether or not Lincoln Rally took his foot off the gas in the fourth quarter or whatever, but they still held him to less yards and, and less points. I mean, that's a lot less points uh, that the defense is holding a, a team to compared to what that team was able to, to score against other opponents. But uh, that's why I made that weird hypothetical, Jeff, is because I, I truly feel that the front of their schedule was loaded with the teams that were going to be near the top of the Big 12 Conference. Yeah, Iowa State, they're up there. Kansas State, they're up there. Oklahoma, they're up there. Texas, they're up there. And the wins, like you said, the wins they're supposed to have, Baylor, they win. Texas Tech, they win. As bad as they people can point out them playing, they still win by 18. And the game against Baylor, they jump up 30 to nothing. If anyone watched that Iowa State game, Baylor was up on Iowa State 21 to 7. Now, if, if, if Baylor goes and beats Iowa State, what are we talking about today? Are we talking about TCU has a, has a good win because Baylor beat Iowa State, or is it now that I, is it now Iowa State sucks? I mean, when, when are we going to sit back and give this team credit for the last two wins they've had? 
I'm giving them credit right now. I'll take both those wins. We have three wins right now. Texas, Baylor, and Texas Tech. Any boy that grew up in the Southwest Conference and was told you're going to win those three games this year and then the rest of it's a crapshoot would feel really good because I hate Texas, I hate Baylor, and I hate any and all things that are out there west of Sweetwater. So I am just fine with uh, t- uh, looking at those three games as a win. Oh, I know you are, and and I am too, but there's, there's, still, there's still the, the herd that will not be impressed with what they're doing because – they have the narrative that they want to see changes come hell or high water. And it's getting to the, it's like, but I will say TCU fans, you're nowhere near as bad as Texas fans. They, all they do is go up to Stillwater beat number six, Oklahoma state. And you go to their board the next day and they're still saying, this doesn't change anything. Herman needs to go fire Tom Herman. This doesn't do anything. Hire Urban Meyer. We want Urban Meyer. Yeah. Because they've got that little taste in their mouth of having another champagne dream, just like the Nick Saban deal. This whole big cigars are talking behind the scenes with Urban Meyer and this and that. He's looking for – I mean, just the, the, the craziness that comes out of Austin is, is just hilarious to me. So, TC fans, I, I know I get on to you sometimes and I, and I, I give you heck, but I will, I will give you props. You're nowhere near as bad as the Texas fans. But I, I will say this uh, – these last these last two games, and I know we're going to talk about defense, but I just want to get off my chest. In the last two games, I think we got to give them credit somewhere. Well, let's give them credit on defense. Let's flip over to that side of the ball. Um, you know, we had two touchdowns that were given up by just I think it was Caesar that fell both times. I'm not going to blame him for it, but other than that, um, they, they, that's 15 points. I think that the frogs take off the board if we don't have a defensive back that that falls down at the most inopportune time. I felt really good with what I saw about with the defense. I have not, I have not, I had not seen the defense. You take the first half of the defense against Baylor, (coughs) the defense, the whole game against Texas Tech, there was a tenacity that every one of us, myself included, were vocal about what was lacking at the beginning of the season. And then you go out there and you watch them be able to smother. You watch them be able to cover deep. You watch them be able to, like if there's a swing pass um, behind the line of scrimmage, even as the ball was being thrown, if I didn't see anybody on the screen, I had total confidence someone is going to show up and shut this thing down and make an open field tackle. And you saw that over and over again. How do you not get excited? about O'Shawn Mathis with those sacks to start the game. How do you not get excited with my big, my name is Earl Barquette, <laughs> and sacking the quarterback? You see the, the, the depth and the potential on that defensive line, and we all know that if you can have a good defensive line in the Big 12, that is a, that is a variable that will set you apart from everybody else. So I'm confident with what I saw from the defense. I know we had a player fall down on two touchdowns. That sucks. But that being said, you still held them to 18 points. And anybody you hold to 18 points in a Big 12 game, you should get a win. Yeah. I mean, and just think about it for a second. The guy that fell down twice was making his first career start. So I I was kind of surprised Texas Tech took so long to uh, start going after him. And he he really – he he was he was a guy that Gary mentioned a few times during during fall camp. Uh, we're talking about CJ, but for him to go out there and, and make his first start, and, and we could argue 
if you go back and watch that first touchdown, it was pretty clear that Polk pretty much pushed off of him. CJ didn't fall down for any reason. The second one, he fell down. Eric didn't push him. He just fell down. He got beat. That that was that was fair and square. But the fact the fact of the matter is, you're you're right. You're talking about 18 points. You take away those two big plays. They finished with 234 passing. You take away those two plays. I think it was a 60 yarder and a 57 yarder. So you're cutting their passing yards in half just with those two plays. So they're down to 117 passing yards. And they didn't really get anything running the football. I think Tech finished with 311 total yards. The defensive line played – this This was the most impressive I've seen the defensive line played this year. They got six sacks last week against Baylor. But Baylor's offensive line, I think you – I think everyone could agree that Baylor's offensive line was probably the worst offensive line we've seen this year. Uh, and that includes TCU's offensive line as much heck as we've given them. This line against Texas Tech, they came into the game with only seven sacks allowed all year. They had been the best pass protection offensive line in the Big 12. So for them to go out and get five sacks, and and mind you, these were all in the first half. So Texas Tech did something good adjusting in the second half to, to prevent more sacks. But for them to get, for TCU to get five sacks in the first half, it, it, like I said on the board, it was awesome to watch because O'Shawn, he he finally got things going. This is the game I think all of us have been kind of wanting to see ever since Gary put that pressure on him last year that he said he feels like he could be one of the top defensive ends that ever played here, if not the best that's ever put on a TCU uniform since I've been coaching here. So you already have that pressure, but Earl Barquette made a great play. Patrick Jenkins, excuse me, is coming on strong. And I, I think even though he didn't get any sacks yesterday, Kari Coleman being out there, just his presence, just being a, another speed guy off the edge, I think that's helping the rest of the line. Terrell Cooper, he's playing strong. His stat line's not showing, but he's still making the plays a lot like Corey Bethley did when when uh, Ross Blacklock was was playing playing here last year. He He's not a, a big stat guy, but he just does enough to where he can cause havoc and and uh, make make – TCU's defense come up with a big play, but I, I was truly impressed, especially when you look at you had CJ Caesar playing one corner, and at the end of the game, you had Donovan Collins playing the other corner because Tomlinson went out. And for Texas Tech, who's been known to to throw the football all over the place and throw it vertically, and let's remember Jet Duffy threw for over almost 400 yards last year against the secondary. And that included Jeff Gladney. So for them to go out there, get to the TCU holds them to 234. They hold them to 77 rushing yards. I was waiting all game long for them to switch quarterbacks because I think their defense was confusing the heck out of their quarterback. Uh, he looked lost. His his uh, completion percentage, I, I don't have it in front of me, but – he had, I mean, he he was almost just right around fifty percent completion percentage too. So it, it's not like he was going out there lighting lighting up the scoreboard either and getting first downs all over the place. But I, I've got to give props that that was a great great defensive effort by TCU, and uh, I, I would definitely say that was the best effort they've given all year. 
Yeah, I absolutely agree. I think that's the best effort that they've given all year. And I want to see how that translates as the the depth continues to just get pummeled. So, I mean, this is a team that scored 56 against Texas. They scored 21 against Kansas State. They they scored 20 or they scored 34 against West Virginia with that same quarterback with uh, Henry Columby, Columby or however you say his name. They scored 28 last week against Oklahoma. Some of that might have been garbage time, but I mean this this defense. They at, at one point. Texas Tech, I don't even think they they were negative yards in the first quarter. I don't think they even had they don't they didn't even have a yard in the first quarter. I don't even think they gained their first positive yard. Uh, I don't think they went over zero yards until midway through the second quarter. That's how that's how dominant TCU's defense was in the first half. Look at it this way. Just compare what TCU's defense did against Tech versus what Texas's defense did against Tech. I mean, like there's the that's that's the thing that we sh- we should be comparing because I know it was the first you know conference game of the season, but Texas Tech should have beat Texas. Texas Tech should have beat Texas, and then TCU's ability to control every element of the game, especially on the defensive line. I mean, I you got you have to give credit to these things. I am quick to offer my constructive feedback to that which I disagree with. But, man, you have to feel comfortable with it. You have to feel better about the defense considering everything that has been decimated in terms of depth and injury. I agree with you. All right. Well, let me let me talk about refs for a minute, and then I want to get your feedback, and then we're going to take the rest of our time and go through every question that we can. You good for that, Jeremy? Yeah. All right. I, you know, the problem is when when people in the same profession can't speak ill of their own profession, when cops can't say speak poorly about how a cop handled something, how a minister can't speak poorly about another minister, you know, you don't turn on your own. Well, I'm going to turn on my own. These refs suck. Can we just agree to that? I mean, I, I, I think I have this down. So I'm going to turn on my fellow referees here. What I understand is this year with COVID protocols and the desire to limit travel, the only person that's getting sent across the the conference is the white hat. So the the head official is designated by the big 12. And then what I find, what I understand is you are just getting the next six or seven closest um, power uh, division one officials that come and work that game. It's not a crew. There's no camaraderie. And if I understand this right, and I might be wrong, so if I'm wrong, let me know, but I'm pretty sure you're getting Conference USA officials, Mountain West, whoever is living down in this area. If they're close to the stadium, they're just going to send them there. It is evident to me that these crews do not have the ability to work together. It is clear to me they do not have um, the same philosophy of what what a call is, what it isn't. Like my crew, I know it's high school, so laugh at me. I define this is holding, this isn't. If, it, if you're holding a guy 30 yards from a play, don't you dare throw a flag. You know, pass interference, it needs to be clear and obvious. It just can't be hand slapping. These guys have no consistent philosophy, and they don't know what a catch is. So you asked me what my thought is on that catch. I thought it was a catch. What did you think, Jeremy? I thought it was a catch. I, I thought I thought he had his – his hand, his hands, uh, obviously on the ball. He had it tucked in, and then when he hit the ground and, and kind of rolled over, the ball came came out. But I figured once a part of his body was down on the ground, other than his foot. I mean, I pretty much his whole his whole backside was on the ground. 
and uh, it just it came out right at the end. I I the the thing that was just mind blowing to me, Jeff, was the fact that they didn't call it a catch, but they didn't even review it. How do you not review that play to even to even to to see if he to see if he did make that catch? They didn't even review it. That's that's what was maddening to me. Why why would you not want to review that to see if you got that call right? My friend Alan Kenny, who covers the Sooners and runs a great um, podcast and a Twitter account called Blatant Homerism, he had a great tweet. It was during the TCU game, but I don't think he was referring to this call. And he said, "Defund video review." <laughs> so I got to I no got. I, I think they need to have it. No, yeah. I think they need to have it. Like they, they just don't get it right. Like if they're not going to get it right, why are we even having them do it? They should, they should have reviewed that play. They should have had that play. Um, they, they, they should have ruled that a catch. So I, I was frustrated as can be by that. We've got to, we got to get the video review right, and we got to get. And this is just part of players are sloppier this year. Depth is challenged, and it's being impacted on, um, on, on the officiating as well as probably the video crew. So, uh. Frustrating as can be. That that wasn't near as bad as the other call. Are you going to talk about the other call? Go for it. You go. I'll 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 pile on after you're done. Okay, so we're talking about the uh, the lateral pass that Max had to Kendra that got batted by the Texas Tech defender, and they blow the whistle, but then Kendra picks up the ball, and he has it, and they blow the whistle again. I'm watching this all live from the press box. They, Texas Tech, Kendra literally has the ball, but Texas Tech, when they line up, after they start saying they're, the refs huddle up, they're discussing the play. And Texas Tech players are like, they're signaling it should be first, it should be Texas Tech ball, Texas Tech ball. And we're up in the press box like, what are they talking about? Kendra Miller is the one that picked it up. Like this, and then, the ref comes back. He says it was a, a lateral pass fumble on the play for which Texas tech defender recovered. And we're just all, we're just laughing our butts off. Like how in the world did they see what that, that line judge over there on TCU sideline, he's the one that called the incomplete pass on Quentin. And he's the one that he's the one that called that play. They were getting ready to run the play. And he's the guy that came running into the other ref and started talking about that play. I don't know what the hell that guy was watching all night, if, if if he was doing something before the game and couldn't see clearly, but he was horrible. And we're just sitting there laughing like and, – and, and at first it looked like they weren't even going to review the play. And finally, right before right before they decided to, to, to flip the field and everything, they review the play. And we're like – everyone's watching it, it – it's on commercial on TV, but at the game, we're all watching it on the big screen. And even the TCU fans are just pointing up the the players are all, they're showing the players, they're pointing up to the big screen and they're laughing and like holding up their hands. Like what in the world are you guys talking about? Kendra? I mean, Kendra and Miller literally had the ball, but they were going to give that if they didn't have video review, that's why I said they need to have this. They would have gave that stinking ball to Texas tech. It would have been almost as bad. Now, different results, but do you remember the play years ago? Years ago, Jeff, when Oklahoma and Oregon played, 
And I think it was oh, that it, onside, wasn't it? The onside, the yeah. onside kicking, wasn't it? Didn't it? Wasn't it the uh, Oklahoma player that ran out of the huddle holding up the ball, and they yeah. still gave the ball to Oregon? Yes, it would have been that. But I mean, it would. It, that's all I could think about was that play. Like, how do you get that so wrong? But thank goodness for video replay because Texas Tech would have had the ball at around the fifteen yard line. And and around that time, it was still a pretty close game. Yeah, what made that? I don't even know how to respond to that. You know, I I know that sometimes officiating, you can see a play die or that you thought was dead, and then kind of drift off, and then realize you have to reengage. And sometimes the only thing you have to trust is the reaction of the players because they'll tell you what's happening. Um, but that was that was just. Doofus on play. That's all. The other thing I did. The other thing I didn't mention is they they said it was Tech's ball because it was an inadvertent whistle on the lateral when it shouldn't have been, and then they they just completely disregarded the the whistle. So they were basically like saying, pretend the whistle didn't happen, and then Texas Tech player recovered the ball. That's the way they were. That's the way they were calling. That's that's exactly what they said at the game before they reviewed the play. And we're just all like, what in the world is he talking about? Kendra Miller literally went over there and picked up the ball and, and, and was holding it. And they were just blowing the whistle like crazy when he was holding it. it just go back and watch it. If you got to go back and watch it. Yeah, that was insane. All right. Well, we've mentioned West Virginia. We've recapped the Tech game. Are you ready to go for rapid-fire questions, Jeremy? I'm going to give them to you quick. You give me a quick answer, okay? Sounds good. All right. We got a lot of questions on injuries. How serious are the injuries to uh, Hodges, Tomlinson, and Stewart? I don't know the answer to either one of those right now. Is Max dealing with any kind of injuries? Um, his accuracy seems to decline. Is he healthy, or is it still dealing with that hit from uh, the Kansas State game? I mean, I don't think anyone's completely healthy right now, uh, but I don't think anything's affecting his throwing health-wise. Do we take a, a grad transfer or a transfer quarterback next year? Uh, Yeah, I would say they will. Any info on the recruiting trail? Any updates on 2021 offers? I know we had a couple more go out this week. Uh, the guys they had offers go out to, I mean, they're still building those relationships. It's it's just going to be hard with those 2021 kids because they're not able to come visit. Coaches can't co go visit them. It's You're really just going to have to like a program without if, – if these kids have not seen them in person by now, it's going gonna, it's gonna to take one hell of a recruiting pitch to get these kids to commit. Hopefully, if they change some things, if, if by the end of December they allow the, the coaches to make visits or kids to make visits – between January, early January, and, and until the uh, February signing day. I don't know if that's going to happen. I haven't kept up with that, uh, truth be told, uh, that much. But I, I will just say that it, it's going to be a little bit harder for them to land some of these kids because unless they're getting these kids that were on campus back in January, February, and March before all this stuff started happening – it, it's going to be tough for them to just go out and offer a kid that they don't have that relationship with 
and be able to land them. So guys like Jackson Dart, I mean, they could talk to them. They could have great conversations on the phone. But unless Jackson Dart's coming down here on his own dime and just planning to drive around Fort Worth for a little bit and then drive around campus without getting to see the coaches in person, whatnot, and, and for all you guys that are shaking your head right now and saying the Blue Bloods do it, TCU's not going to do it. I'm just telling you, they're, they're not going to do it. But it, it's going to be hard to land guys like that. But but other guys that have been on campus, they'll have a much easier chance. And, and maybe some of the other guys, the local guys that already know plenty about TCU, if they try to go out and get someone from DFW um, that, that has a – uh, good knowledge of TCU and the program and, and what they do offensively or defensively, then they would have a better shot at that. But right now, uh, with the way they have some guys leaving, I, I would say they're probably going to try to keep uh, – if you guys haven't noticed by now, they're trying to get another quarterback. Um, I, I truly believe that they feel Honig is, is decent, but he's kind of a project. He hasn't played – at all, except with his training sessions this year. Trent Battle, kind of another project, heck of an athlete, but he may be just like Jimmy Holiday was last year. I mean, he's he's a quarterback. He's got he's got a, a pretty strong arm. Um, makes some mistakes, but he's he's got to work on his mechanics a little bit. I think anyone that watches this film will will understand that. So they're looking for basically a dude right now to where if something happened to Max or something happened to Downing. They need a guy that can come in right away and provide some some depth. And whether that's a, a true freshman from the 21 class, a transfer, a JUCO guy, they're going to try to find another quarterback. I, th- I think they're going to go out and try to find another offensive tackle. Uh, they still need they still need a linebacker slash safety. They're going to go out and get a corner. Um, the, I don't know how many number of scholarships they have right now with some of these guys opting out. And some of these guys uh, hitting the portal uh, by Monday, you're gonna. We we already know John Stevens is gone now. So do they go out and try to find another big receiver type? I've got a great one right down the road. They need to go recruit. That's just been killing it every week this year. But uh, hopefully they take another look at him. But right now it's just still kind of quiet. Is um is that Brody Clark? No, it's the McAllister kid. He had three nineteen for. Four touchdowns the other night. Where does he play at? Plays for the Azel Hornets, Jeff. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> you are the Buddy McGarity of the Azel Hornets. That's only on the junior high level. Okay. I make sure all the I make sure all the good kids end up at one school. Make sure their mailboxes are in a certain part of town. That's right. That's funny because everyone like everyone thinks Azel's like a little bitty three A school because the town's not real big, but. We're on the verge of six A out here, and we do have two junior high, two junior highs. So we've we've got to make sure all the talent ends up at one school. Texas forever. Nah, I'm just I'm kidding about that, by the way. But there is uh there is one school that completely dominates the other when it comes to gridiron. Yep. Uh, all right. In your opinion, who are the two best players on defense? <sighs> two best players on defense, without a question. The number one player on defense right now is D winners. Yes, there, there. You're gonna, you're, you're gonna have a, a hard argument with me if you say someone else. But D, D winners, in my opinion, uh, was is right now the the top player on defense. The second player, that's that's a pretty good, pretty good uh, toss up. But I would, 
I mean, the easy answer is Garrett Wallow, but man, he, he just hasn't played as great. He, he's still getting a lot of tackles, but he's still missing a lot of tackles. He's missing a lot of big plays and, and that's, that's something he's got to, he's got to fix the last few games of the season. But, <sighs> you know, the, the way Trey's been playing the last two or three weeks, yeah. I would say he's, I would say he's up there. Top that's two. What I was thinking, but my number, my number four in rising is uh, O'Shawn Mathis. Who you got number three? Uh, uh No, I got Wallow further down. I've been a little harder on him this year. I got Ardarius. Okay. Yeah, I got Ardarius because every, everybody on the corner is basically off the ta- off the draft board. You know, is off the table. Um, Wallow, I would tell you up to about three weeks ago, the best player on defense was Noah Daniels. Yes, he was. Noah Daniels was the best player on defense. Yeah, Garrett's Garrett's just having a tough year. In some ways, this feels like this feels like what Ty Summers was going through in tw- what was that twenty eighteen? Yeah, when he was flip flopping between yeah, end and linebacker, banged up, and then he was flip flopping, and then you know they're going with weird coverages, and it's it's not in, you know I'm not faulting him. I'm not saying he's not giving effort. I just think he's oh no, yeah, that's not the issue. No, his his issue may be too much effort sometimes because he over pursues things and yeah. gets out of the way and 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 Gary's called out called him out a couple times on that, especially the Iowa State game. He he pretty much called out his linebacker core for letting those big runs happen. Yeah, we gotta we gotta step up and um and, and make a play. On <laughs> but you know what's funny? We we were look we were watching that game not not to get off track like I always do, but when we watched Iowa State we saw Brees Hall and everyone's kind of like, you know, Brees Hall was okay as a freshman, but man, he's really had a good year. I mean, that dude has had a really, really good year. It's right now. That's him and Chuba as the, the top two backs in the conference. Oh, I was getting ready to say, imagine how much money you could have won. If at the beginning of the season, you would have said, uh, Brees Hall is going to have a better season than Hubbard. Yeah. And I don't think it's, I don't think they're tied. I think it's Hall. And then I think it's Hubbard. Well, I mean, those two are going to get first team Big Twelve, is what I'm saying. Yeah, those those two guys. Well, speaking of two backs, next question: We saw a two back set a few plays with Max, and he was even under the center. Any chances you think we see more of this? Oh yeah, uh, there's there that set with Barlow and Evans. This wasn't the first game they've ran that. I, they ran that early in the year. I think they might have even ran it against uh, Texas um, because I mentioned it on the board that they were going to run it, and when they did. They only ran it like once or once, once or twice, but I, I know that they want to get those two guys on the field. Both of them are versatile. Uh, Zach's been pretty good catching the football. If they throw it to him, he's making a catch more often than not. So he's he's done good in that regard. And and I think right now they still probably trust Dar- uh, Darwin a little bit more than they do Zach. But and I know people are going to argue that they wish Zach would have got more touches this past game, but. We also got to remember he was out for a few series, and I and I still think had he not had his his helmet pulled off, he was going to get the ball, and and they were going to reward him with trying to score a touchdown because he was running really hard that drive. But I I, I think we're just at the tip of the iceberg of what we're going to see. I think we're going to continue to see him get hopefully ten to fifteen touches, whether it's running the football or them throwing the football to him. Okay, um, three more here. Do we actually have uh, uh, Stephon Brown? package or is that just a myth no it's a package i i'm and i'm and i'm quite surprised that we haven't seen it. Uh, it it's crazy because like i tell you guys i 
everyone thinks all my information comes just from particular people. And, and, and that's not true. It's, it, it's from a variety of people. And when a variety of, of people are telling me that all the same thing, I tend to listen. And then when Gary comes out and, and says it, and I even say, man, I'm surprised he even mentioned that because that's something I figured he would keep secret. There is a package where it's at. I have no idea. North pole, Antarctica. I, I don't know. I, there, there's, there's no idea. He was on the sideline though. I did see him. He, he does exist. <laughs> Stefan Brown, not Steven Brown. Let's not, let's not, let's not make him a, uh, LaMarcus James. No, he's not LaMarcus James. <laughs> yeah. What, what's his coach's name from, um, last chance you, uh, Oh, the indie coach, Jason yeah. Brown. Jason Brown. Jason yeah. Brown is always propping him up on Twitter. You should follow. Oh, him. Yeah, he's like, oh, don't don't sleep, don't be sleeping on Stefan Brown. He's a great player. Well, he's well, leaning just, back. I just hope they get him get him involved. I mean, if if you're just going to run a play where it's fourth and two, and you want want to run a guy instead of getting Max killed, he's a. Why not bring in your six foot five, two hundred thirty five pound quarterback? That's probably what I would do. Heck yeah, that's what I would do too. All right, two more questions. Marcel Brooks, tell us everything you know about his injury. I don't know if it's technically an injury um, because he practiced this week. And I don't know if there's something else going on because I was told he wasn't going to play. But then at the very, very, very end of the game, he got in there for a few plays. So I don't know. I'm not going to speculate on it if there's discipline well, I am actually speculating now, but I, I don't know. I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is. Why he's why he's not playing? But I do know that he was practicing this week. And what I will say is, people quit worrying about Marcel Brooks. I mean, seriously, Marcel Brooks should be probably about ninth or tenth on your list of ten things to worry about TCU football right now. Yeah. But he's a five-star. He should be playing. He should have been here on the on the minute he got on campus. They should have given him a house behind Colonial Country Club. <sighs> <sighs> I know. All right, he's last a shiny question. toy. He's a five-star, and TCU's it ruining his career by, by not playing him. But how bad there, there are some other Max. good players out there that are making plays. Yeah. All right, my brother says, "How bad?" My brother asks, "How badass is Max?" I'll hang up and listen. He's on a scale from one to ten a ten. There's there's no doubt about it. For that guy to continue to to get beaten like he is and, and continue to get up. I mean, last week against Baylor, he took that shot to the head, gets up with no problem. He could took a, a couple big sacks uh, against Texas Tech, gets up no problem. I mean, it's almost like the guy can't get hurt. I don't want to jinx it, so I'm gonna knock on wood here real quick. But he's just like every one of his teammates have said, he's a warrior. And uh, even though he struggled passing the ball right now, TC wouldn't even be in these games without him playing quarterback. Yeah, I don't even want to think about where they would be without Max Duggan right now. All right, well, we have exceeded an hour here, so we're going to bring this thing to a merciful end, unless you've got anything else to update us on, Jeremy. No, I think we're good. Hour in. All right. Daniel's probably ready to get going. I bet. We're glad to have everybody back full strength here. We're going to be with you through the rest of the season. 
We want to thank you for listening to the um, for the listening to the Frogcast. If you haven't yet, go to hornfrogblitz.com. We'd love for you to join our message board, the TCU twenty four seven sports community. It's a great way to stay plugged in to all the latest that's going on inside the program as well as on the recruiting trail. We'd also love for you to go and subscribe to the Frogcast on your podcasting app of choice. Give us a rating and a review, and it's a good way for people to know about TCU football and get to know about the Frogcast. So until we get back together again next week, for Daniel Southern and Jeremy Clark, I'm Jeff Mitchell. Thanks for listening to the Frogcast.